Amen. Amen. Thank you, Josh. I hesitate to mention it. I know he wouldn't want me to mention it, but uh, Josh lately has been working an impossible schedule. And so when he comes to church on Sunday morning, he has just gotten off of a shift. And so if he looks tired, be gracious with him. Show him some grace, okay? Um, in addition to all the changes of their family, you know that's got to be tough on him. So adding the little one and all of this. I want to remind you that we are finishing last week's sermon And it's a good thing, because I think I still preached about 45 minutes last week. Better be glad I didn't try to finish it, because we'd probably still be here. But you know we're in a series, Reset, Discipleship Essentials in the Community of Christ. We're trying to hit reset, so to speak, go back to the basics of what we know. And so we began talking about the ministry of the Spirit. We've, We've covered the commitment of the disciple. We've covered the corporate rhythms, the one another's discipline, mission, and now we're covering the ministry of the Spirit. And you recall, at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came with a new measure of ministry that really the Bible had not spoken to before. The Spirit came and created at Pentecost the local church. So as the body of Christ is constructed through the ministry of the Spirit, we begin to see the way the Spirit works in us, filling us gifting us for service, and then through mission, regenerating and reviving hearts of the unbelieving. The Spirit binds us together as the saints, dwells in us individually. He puts us together for work, gives us a variety of opportunities to serve, to love, as we have seen throughout this series. Now we're in Galatians chapter 5, you recall, and Paul again is is rebuking these folk because they have uh, basically abandoned the true gospel. They've been led astray. Paul hasn't given up on them yet. He's calling them back and saying, don't follow this other gospel, which is no gospel at all. Remember that you began by the Spirit, so you will not, as we heard earlier, you will not be perfected by your flesh. The Spirit brought you in, and now the Spirit brings the completion that we need. The Spirit brought us in, and through the Spirit, we actually walk in accordance with the law. The Spirit enables these things, just as the Spirit helped Christ. Now, Galatians 5, verses 16 through 26, let's go back to that. I'm going to read this, and we'll catch up to where we are in this sermon. Paul says to the Galatians, verse 16, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. The desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. 
I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Pray with me once more. Father, we do need your help through the ministry of the Spirit to understand, to know, ultimately to know Christ to be conformed to his likeness. We pray that even if it's in some small way that you would do that as we gather, as we engage your word this morning, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. The theme, as we recall, the body of Christ relies on the Holy Spirit to bear the fruit of Christ's likeness. The body of Christ relies on the Holy Spirit to bear the fruit of Christ's likeness. And I began to give you Four ways the Spirit moves us forward in discipleship. Number one, the Spirit opposes our fleshly desires. You recall, you can't have the flesh taking control and the Spirit reigning at the same time. It's one or the other. We saw those desires, those fleshly desires, as corrupt desires, those desires are insatiable. So in and of yourself, there's no way that you can uh, assuage those desires. There's no way that you can quench those desires. It's only through the ministry of the Spirit that you can be delivered from those. Number two, the second way, the Spirit leads our path to liberty. The Spirit leads our path to liberty. And this is where verses 18 through 23, we saw the fruit of the flesh. We saw the fruit of the spirit. And then those things are set in relationship to the law. So first off, we said the law reveals flesh-driven captivity. And then secondly, the law promotes fruit-delivering freedom. The, the biggest point that I could ask you to take away from this last week was um, the fact that we cannot see the fruit of the Spirit as a new law. I remind you of that. so critical. You can't look at the fruit and say, ah, oh, these are the things I'm supposed to do now. No, this is a product of the filling of the Spirit. If you want to say that there is a command here, the command is simply to be filled with the Spirit, to surrender to the Spirit. And then he produces this fruit. And it's not just some things and not others. It's all of it. It's all or none. The Spirit leads our path to liberty, free to walk as Christ walked. And that brings us to our third point. Beginning today, the Spirit unites our will with Christ's. The Spirit unites our will with Christ. Verse 24 says, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. I think there's, there's two parts to this as we see our will united with Christ. First off, there is a present reality, and it's kind of assumed here. Those who belong to Christ Jesus. He's, he's assuming that we 
are, in fact, in the body of Christ, that we are, in fact, Christians. And this is the issue at hand, a present reality. Being found in Jesus Christ is the issue. Right there, it literally reads, those who belong to Christ, it reads the people of Christ. So Paul has in mind everyone who is actually united with Christ by faith. So we're not talking about a mere profession of faith like many in Paul's day who might loosely associate with Christians when it's convenient for them. Or we may say many in our day who nominally identify as Christians because it's easiest. Or it's a product of deduction. Well, people are generally Christians around me, so I'm going to call myself a Christian. i got to sign up for one of these, right? Paul is not talking about nominal Christianity. This is those who are actually redeemed by the blood of Christ. We're talking about the names that are written in heaven. We need to be clear on this point. Saying that you're a Christian does not make you a Christian. We're not signing up for like a a recreational basketball team. In fact, I'll tell you a story. As an adult, I was on staff at a church, and the church had a a basketball team. It It was a small church. I signed up. Literally, you sign up, and you're on the team, and that's it. No tryouts, no nothing. Let me tell you about that season. I went to the free throw line 11 times during that season. Probably had six games. It wasn't very, very long. I went to the free throw line 11 times during that season. I made zero free throws. Zero. I was an embarrassment to my team. Okay? But you know what? I signed up, and I was on the team. This is that easy. Oh, yeah, I'll play basketball. Not very good. Lost all my skills. I'll be sure to miss 11 free throws. Can you imagine? Like, they're free. That's why they call them free throws. They're free. Nobody's in your face. Nobody's blocking you. You just get to shoot the ball for free. I missed all 11 of them. Look, following Christ is not signing up for something because you just need something to do. It's not signing up because this is the team you'd rather be on or the sport you'd rather play than this sport or this team. Hear me. Being brought to life through regeneration, being moved by God to the place of true repentance, being adopted by God never to be disowned, being washed in the blood of Christ, being sealed by the Spirit for the day of redemption, being indwelt by the Spirit and incorporated into the body of Christ, that is the church. This is no small thing. If you have in mind, well, yeah, I'm a Christian, and you can say with that, I guess, passivity, that all this is true of you, I I, I don't see it in Scripture. This is a monumental, life-changing event when the Spirit uncovers your own brokenness and you see Christ for who he is in all of his beauty and glory, and you say, I need him. If you are a part of the people of Christ, 
then these things are true of you. What Paul speaks of here touches on the mysterious union between Christ and his people. In fact, when he writes to the Ephesians, he hammers this union. with The constant refrain, in Christ. I would challenge you to open up the book of Ephesians and go through and just mark all the times the letter says, in Christ. Now, I could ask the question, what does it mean to be in Christ? And you may have a hard time defining that. And that gets us to the mystery of it all. I think the Holy Spirit leads the writers of the Bible to emphasize that language on purpose. So to be a Christian, I'm saying truly a Christian is to be so united with Christ by faith that He becomes the source of your identity. He becomes your wisdom, your life. He becomes the greatest pleasure of your soul. And so if you are united with Christ, the Father looks upon you and sees Jesus' righteousness. And if you are united to Christ, if you are in Christ, if you are a part of the people of God, then your desires become aligned with his. This is what the Spirit does. You want new things. How many of y'all recall when you came to faith in Jesus, your desires changed? Sure, you deal with the flesh. We'll get there. You still battle the flesh, but you have new desires Godly desires, and through the Spirit, you may give God praise and honor and glory. You desire growth. You're now glad to love the people of God, to love God and serve God. You're hungry and thirsty for righteousness. Paul says it right here. If you're united to Christ, something must have happened to you in days past. Those who belong, present reality, to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So there is a present reality, but secondly, there is a past reckoning. There is a past reckoning. You see the way it's worded. They have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So in the same way that the Spirit takes believers out from under the condemnation of the law, here being in Christ severs the believer's captivity to the flesh. You get it? Being in Christ means you are no longer under the control of your sinful nature. Here's the beauty of it. You don't see this a whole lot in Scripture This is an act on the part of the believer, as Paul writes it here. They have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Linsky says right here, it was not performed upon them. They did it themselves. And this is an act that does not continue. It is done and over with. Nailed it to the cross. I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm done with the flesh once and for all. It no longer rules me. It no longer controls me. The way Paul describes it here, we got to come away and say, there must have been a point in your life when the captivity of your flesh was forever 
broken. And on the occasion that you finally reckoned yourself dead to sin and gave your life to Jesus, repenting and believing, at that point, the flesh no longer controls. But if you've not come to this point, we need to be clear, you are not in Christ. As the Bible says, you are not a part of the people of God. You are, in fact, still dead in your sin and under the condemnation of the law, and that ought to be a terrifying thing to you. It ought to cause you to tremble. Romans 6 describes this new redeemed state that Paul is referring to. If you're in Christ, you've crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. See, Romans 6 corroborates this. It helps us out. And you may recall they were, uh, people were asking the question like, okay, so if we are under grace, then we can sin as much as we want to sin and grace covers it all. And Paul in Romans 6 is saying, absolutely not, by no means. God forbid it. And he describes this new redeemed state and answers that claim, standing upon our union with Christ. Romans 6, verses 5 through 7. Here's what he says. He says a lot more that's so good, but here's what we're going to read. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. And we see the same language in Galatians 5, that those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh, with its passions and desires. This reference to the crucifixion is to very clearly associate our conversion with Christ's death on the cross. And we, we picture this in baptism, don't we? The old man is dead. When we go down in that water, it is a picture of I am no longer what I used to be, but I am a new creature, a new creation in Christ. So we crucify the flesh with its passions and desires as we identify with Christ by faith. We become one with him in his victory over the sin nature. So while the sinful flesh is assigned to death, nailed to the cross, while it's assigned to death, it has not yet been fully removed from us. And here's the struggle. This is the tension. Because in the spirit, you are still carrying around the remnants of the flesh. The battle goes on. In the power of the spirit, the life of Christ, however, becomes our new desire, our will. We want to live as Christ lived. The obedience of Christ becomes our walk. No longer living under the dominion of fleshly desires, the Spirit guides us to want 
the very things that Christ wants. The Spirit guides us to walk the very way that Christ walks. So the Spirit unites our will with Christ's. And then fourthly and finally, the Spirit keeps our steps together. The Spirit keeps our steps together. You don't ever hear me say finally so early in the sermon, do you? The Spirit keeps our steps together. Verses 25 and 26. I'll read them again. It almost seems like you can, you can track a, a change in topic to some degree. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not be con- become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And then you see chapter 6, you're familiar with this. Brothers, if anyone has caught any transgression, you are spiritual. Restore him in a spirit of gentleness. You see, he's turning his attention to how the filling of the Spirit and the ministry of the Spirit operates in the whole church. So the Spirit keeps our steps together. Verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. These pick up the thought of verse 16, walk by the Spirit. And it moves to the admonitions Paul has for the community, for the saints as a whole, we He works these things out further, as we said in chapter 6. I want to give you a couple of of notes here on keeping our steps together. First off, we live by the Spirit. We live by the Spirit. Again, there's an assumption there. If we live by the Spirit. It may be better read since we live by the Spirit. Because he's already made this full argument in the book of Galatians saying that you will not be perfected by the flesh. You must rely on the spirit just as you relied on the spirit in your salvation. So we live by the spirit. Since we live by the spirit, indicates that Paul is calling them to rally around their unity in their common saving faith. He's declaring the truth that they're in this together. I want to give you, I guess, a picture. Those of you who cook or bake, uh, y'all understand the idea of necessary ingredients. And if one ingredient is missing, then it, it messes up the whole dish sometimes, doesn't it? I think... Unfortunately, in our flesh, we sometimes get the idea that God missed some ingredients with us. But somehow, we didn't get what we needed to walk in the Spirit, to walk as Christ walked. But I want to I comfort you with this, this morning, that those Christians around you, just think of the folks that you look up to the people that you esteem in the faith, those folks that you would say are mature, growing saints that you call brothers and sisters, I would tell you this. They did not get where they are by trying really hard. They didn't work themselves to Christ. And their current Christ-likeness is not because of human effort. You need to hear this. They are not better than you. They are not more loved by God than you. 
You are not on some lesser spiritual level than they are. You don't have a a lesser uh, granting of the Holy Spirit than they do. We Christians all have the same indwelling Holy Spirit who carries out his ministry in and through us according to Christ's promise. You know what remembering this does? The fact that we all live by the Spirit, the same Spirit. You know what this does? It prevents you from becoming conceited. Prevents you from provoking one another. Prevents you from envying one another. You ever said, man, I wish my walk with Jesus was like that guy's? There's a way to say that that is not from the Spirit of God. You have the same Spirit every other believer has if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus. So we live by the Spirit. Secondly, we step by the Spirit. It may seem like I'm repeating, but I want you to see how Life in the Spirit comes down to the way that the Spirit moves us forward. Each act, each step, each thought, each tendency. I'm a a people watcher. Any of y'all people watchers, you like to sit on a bench at a mall or something and just watch people? I do that. I hope it's not creepy. But uh, there are times, I think, in, in my marriage where my wife and I both would just sit down somewhere public and we take, uh, I guess, some pleasure in observing people, the way they look, the way they act, the way they dress, the things that make them unique. I remember just, I don't know, a week, a week ago, about a week ago, I was with my kids at a local mall and I made some comment about this very thing, how I love seeing People's uniqueness worked out in who they are. We all have those unique features, whether it's the fact that we look different, whether it's the fact that we act different, our thought patterns are different, those tendencies are different. You know, for me, I'm really self-conscious about the way I walk because somebody a long time ago said, hey, you know, you kind of walk and you like bounce a little bit. And I see my kids do the same thing. You're going to have big calves. That's what it says. Now, uh, I think about that bounce in my step. And when I see myself on video walking, it's like, do I really walk like that? But, you know, in the spirit, I don't want you to get the idea. Christian, don't get the idea that in the spirit, somehow all of your uniqueness is stripped away and you just got to be a lame old Christian. Because some of y'all, that's the idea that you have. You've been taught that being a Christian means I get in line and do exactly the same thing that everybody else does. Like we're sort of marching in formation. No. No. When it comes to our spiritual walk, our steps may not look exactly the same. But you know, every step will be a step of love. Every step will be a step of support, a step of restoration, a step of gentleness, a step of generosity. How you love 
It'll look different from person to person, won't it? And I'm so thankful for that. I don't have to expect all of you to be the same kind of Christian that I am. Keep this in mind. There's so much that we can say about this, folks. But I hope you see, even though our love will differ in the way we express it from person to person and so many other things, it will all be consistent as the Spirit guides our steps. We step by the Spirit. We see the unity the Spirit brings by uniting a bunch of different people together. I would challenge you to have in mind that that person in the church that is so unlike you and then just take a moment to thank God for them. Thank God for that person. We are not here to be a uniform people. We are not here to make clones of ourselves. We're not here to take the cookie cutter to every individual that shows up. Don't believe the lie that the world sells you. That being Christian means all your uniqueness goes away. I look around at the church and I see the beautiful variety resulting from God's endless creativity. God created us as unique expressions in his image. In Christ, the Spirit grants us unique places, unique roles in the body, unique ways of carrying out ministry. I would submit to you this, all right? I would submit to you that maybe walking by the Spirit is not even a bunch of individuals taking steps but one body, the body of Christ, walking as he walks. We step by the Spirit. The body of Christ relies on the Holy Spirit to bear the fruit of Christ's likeness. To review, the Spirit opposes our fleshly desires. The Spirit leads our path to liberty. The Spirit unites our will to Christ. Fourthly, the Spirit keeps our steps together. And as we've been doing in this series, I want to conclude with a, a so what. I want to ask that question, so what, this morning. A few things for your application just to help. We're not going to keep on doing so what, but I want to help. First off, is the Holy Spirit dwelling in you? It's the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. Apart from saving faith in Christ, there is not only no escape from condemnation, but there is also no way you'll be able to overcome your fleshly desires. At best, it will be exchanging one desire for another. You will never overcome your sin. So if you are apart from Jesus, you're not in Christ this morning, and you think that you're going to get the help of the Spirit, no. The only thing you need to be asking from the Spirit is to show you Jesus. Let me see him. Let me see him and know him. And then, through faith in him, the Spirit will transform you. So is the Holy Spirit dwelling in you? But also, 
How can your brothers and sisters help you prepare for battle this week? That's a long question. How can your brothers and sisters help you prepare for battle this week? As we've talked about the ministry of the Spirit, you know this week there's going to be those circumstances, maybe even those people that just push you to the flesh. Tell these folks around you so they can help you prepare for that. Tell the folks that you trust today so that you can prepare for this week's battle. And then thirdly, I would encourage you to seek out the Spirit's purposes for you as a member of the body of Christ. You are unique according to the design of God. You are unique for God's purposes. Your gifts are unique. Your personality is unique. Your burdens are unique. Your story is one of a kind. Nobody has your story. So I would ask you, how has God knit you into the body of Christ in your uniquenesses? How has he equipped you for service? Do you know that? Can you answer that question? If you can, today, I want to encourage you to discern those things as best you can. So as we conclude, I want to encourage you to respond in these ways. Respond to this word from Paul about the ministry of the Spirit. Some of you still haven't reckoned with the fact that the fruit of the Spirit is not another list of things for you to do, but yet a surrendering that needs to happen. Maybe that's how you respond today. Maybe you've never come to faith in Jesus. You don't have the Spirit. You can't point to any occasion in the past where you gave your life to Christ and were forever changed. Today is the day of salvation. Repent and believe. Be saved. You'll receive the Spirit. Let's respond as we sing. Pray with me now. Father, Father, 